I remember when Justin was just a nine-year-old boy with a big afro. <laughs> Grow it back. <laughs> he used to sit in the back row of my class, and I'd preach the Bible to him. And God, you know, I just... Back then, I didn't, you never imagine what people are going to grow up and do, you know. And here he is leading us in worship. It's pretty neato. Looks like we're all settled in. All right, let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word tonight, Lord, we ask for wisdom and instruction from your word. We ask that you cause your spirit to settle upon us, Lord, and illuminate your word to convict us of our sin. Lord, to set a fire in our hearts and put that desire in us to live a life that's pleasing to you, Lord. That our faith would not be empty. Lord, that it wouldn't be dead, but it would be filled with good and wonderful works that spring out of our love for you. So, Lord, we commit tonight, commit the teaching of your word. We thank you so much for it. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Kind of a weird little break in the, in the section here. We're going to do the last three verses, which, you know, really it's just the conclusion of this section, which begins in, in verse 14. But picking up in verse 24, and then we'll work back, James says, You see then that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Joseph Sizu, a one-time pastor of the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, in Washington, which Abraham Lincoln often attended, says he will never forget the day that he held in his hands for the first time the Bible of Abraham Lincoln. It was the Bible from which Lincoln's mother had read to him as a child. She had taught him to commit to memory many of its passages, and it was the only possession that Lincoln carried from Pigeon Creek to the Sangamon River. And book in my hand, I wondered where it would fall open. And it opened to a page which was thumb-marked and which he must have read many times, and it was the 37th Psalm. 
Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So I found that illustration and it caught my attention. Uh, Why don't we take a look at Psalm 37? Right in the middle of the Bible there. Keep your finger in James because we'll we'll bounce right back. We'll look at the first ten verses. So keep in mind this is Abraham Lincoln's possibly his favorite passage. I mean his his Bible just kind of automatically bounces open to that section. Keep in mind what's going on around Abraham Lincoln as well. Civil War. North against the South. He's trying to abolish slavery. And so he's constantly going to this Psalm 37, verses 1 through 10. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass. And wither is the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass... Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evil evil doers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. I wonder if, like, like here we are, what is today, the 21st, January 21st, 2015, and we look, we look around this world, we look at this nation, and we look at what's going on, and I'm, I'm quite frankly, I'm flabbergasted. How depraved that this world is. And Lincoln, during his time and during the Civil War, must have felt the same way. Looking at the world around him, looking at his fellow countrymen killing one another on the battlefields in Virginia. He must have thought to himself, my goodness, this is it. This is the end. I mean, how how much worse can it get? Ernie and Don covered the previous material in this section. It begins in chapter 2, verse 14, which deals with the topic of faith and works. There's nothing I can do to earn God's favor. There's no way to work for salvation. Can't write a check to get in. I I can't help elderly folks across the street and chalk those up as credit 
with the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Just like baptism does not wash away sin or somehow bring me into favor with God, baptism is merely an outward expression of what has already happened in my heart. So likewise, works cannot bring me into favor with God or somehow make God feel like he owes me something because I did some random act of kindness. My acts of kindness, my works, are merely an outward expression of what has already happened in my heart. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing. And all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. On my best day, my most obedient day, when, when I wake up and I'm, and I'm praying to the Lord before my head even leaves the pillow, and I walk with him, and I'm in communication with him all day, and I, and I, and I somehow think I did good. I, I avoided the sin that I did yesterday. I had a righteous day. Filthy rags. Unclean thing. That's why I put on the righteousness of Jesus. Because God will look at me through the lens of his son and say righteous. When I'm really an unclean thing. It's quite amazing what we get to live and experience as believers. Remember the thief on the cross? When did he get baptized? When did he do something good? Yet what did Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. (laughs) Paul said, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. Regarding the, the thief, it was his faith in the Son of God that saved him and nothing else. He believed. Abraham was willing to offer his son as a sacrifice because he had already he had the faith that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead if he killed him. I don't know if you've ever stopped and spent time to contemplate the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. If you haven't, Try it. And it helps if you're a parent. Abraham wasn't hoping to earn favor on the back end of killing his son, Isaac. In Abraham's mind, his son was about to die. It was a done deal. He had already made up his mind 
to sacrifice Isaac unto the Lord. Because he knew for sure that God would somehow fulfill his promise that he had made to Abraham earlier in that through Isaac, through the son of promise, a nation would be created. See, Abraham was smart enough to know that that God was true. He believed God. God said he was going to make a nation out of Isaac. Now, God's asking me to sacrifice Isaac. Well, God has a problem then because I'm doing it. And God has to fulfill his promise now. That's God's business. That's God's problem. Because God is true. God cannot lie. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. Abraham knew that the death of Isaac was God's problem, not his own. That's faith. What God was asking Abraham to do went against logic. Didn't make sense. That's what makes the faith even more powerful. Do you believe that the struggles of this life, the demise of America, the presence of great evil all around us, cancer, murders, killing unborn children, rampant pornography, men with men, women with women, etc., 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 will soon be made right by the Almighty Creator. Do you believe that? Yeah. And I cannot wait. I am so ready for God to set things right. And that's the only way that I'm able to deal with this world. Because I have a hope. You have a hope. It's going to be all right. I have, I have some friends, some, some associates, if you will. Very conservative folks, but non-believers. And they're, they're going nuts. Watching this world spin out of control. Watching this nation go down the toilet. They're pulling their hair out like, Oh, the forefathers would be turning over in their graves, and they would be, but these people have no hope. Hopefully they'll 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 catch our hope. All I can do is be light, be salt, pray, let my light shine. They've gotta know that we've got an edge. Do you have hope? We rest in God while the world spins into the abyss of destruction all around us. (laughs) And we're not freaking out. I don't even watch the news. Who who, who doesn't watch the news with me? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is... I don't even know what's going on in the world right now. I don't want it. It's bad. It's just bad. Right? We know it's bad. It's never good. And we know it's going to just get worser and worser and worser. Is that a word? <laughs> I hope not, because that's why I'm using it. <laughs> the Bible, if you, if you read the end, tells us what happens. The world's going to get so bad 
that the Lord is going to destroy it. The elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. God's just going to let go. So, let's have our Bible study now. Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. The the phrase, you see then, used by James here, means that he has proved his point. What is his point? The point is that the works produced in the life of the believer are the proof, the evidence of that person's faith. It's a living and active faith. True faith produces a changed person. I remember the night that I got born again. It was was kind of a weird thing. But I remember waking up the next day at home, and I I couldn't explain what had happened to me, but I knew something had happened to me. One of the first things I noticed is that I, I, I no longer had a craving to put chewing tobacco in my mouth. I had a, I had a really bad habit of doing that. Um, something else that I noticed strange is I immediately stopped cursing, stopped using four-letter words, and I didn't have to try. Those are my favorite words, by the way. Built my life on those. So there was a there was a a, um, a radical transformation. Thank you, a radical change in my life. I was there when it happened, so nobody can tell me it didn't happen. I was there. In fact, my mentor is here, Steve French. Thank you. And when I sat through my new believers course. I thought he was the man. <laughs> and now I know he's the man. <laughs> I'm just looking for opportunities to put people on the spot. <laughs> no, I mean, I've got fond memories of Steve just, just for that reason. I didn't even really know the guy at that time. But going through the foundations of the faith back in 1996 learning about angels and heaven and hell and demons and faith and gifts and the cross, blood, heaven. Did I already say that? Heaven's it's my favorite part. True faith produces a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As a non-believer, my primary characteristic was selfishness. I served myself. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drive? What am I going to wear? Where am I going? Who am I going to be with? Who am I going to hurt? Who am I going to steal from? As a believer, my primary characteristic should be selflessness. I am to serve others. God saved me. God saved you so that he could use me, so that he can use you to reach out and help others. Period. He didn't save me for me at all. 
He didn't save me so that I could live a happy life. A happy life is the byproduct of serving others. 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the later, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I like this one. Jesus said in Luke 17.10, So likewise, then, when you have done all of those things which you were commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And look at the second part of verse 24. Man is justified by works and not faith only. We need to make sure that we do not pull this fragment of this verse out of its context to make it say, man is justified in the sight of God by works and not by faith. There, there are strange religions out there and they like to do that. They like to find these, these random verses that kind of line up with their weird doctrines and they'll pull that one verse and they'll rip it out of 14 pages of context to make it say whatever they want to say. But when you plug it back in, it doesn't fit with context. The context here is that faith without works is dead. Okay, Don't ever forget that. The context is faith produced works not just works a believer who doesn't exhibit good works is like a backslider or a lukewarm believer a believer that doesn't exhibit godly works isn't really much good for anything and again he's a i guess in right there he's a believer i think i don't know he said he believed but he just sits there You know the type. They come in on Sunday morning, they occupy a seat, and they rush out as soon as service is over. They don't function as part of the body. They don't serve in the ministry. They complain about this and that. They come to the potlucks, and they don't bring nothing. (laughs) Right? And then the guy's got like three plates. And then dessert. It's like the only time you see the guy, he's at the potluck. That's not funny. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't realize I had written a joke until later. True believers are changed people. They want to get involved They want to help, and they are functioning members of the body. I remember when I got saved in 96, I was standing outside that front door waiting for it to open every time it was time for it to open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night. We had Saturday mornings, men fellowships. We had Friday night singles ministry. By the way, I got me a wife (laughs) on Friday night singles. Yeah. After that happened, they canceled. That's it. People are hooking up. We better put an end to it. <laughs> but that was 16 years ago. It worked. <laughs> I 
Our kids are a lot younger than 16, so they did the math, and so we're okay. (laughs) True believers are functioning members of the body. They bring food to potlucks. These believers aren't trying to earn God's favor by serving others. Their works are simply an outpouring of being filled with the Spirit of God. These people are justified in the sight of God. And by the way that people act, I can judge to some degree if the person loves God or not. Obviously, we don't have the ability to, to read someone's thoughts and to judge someone's heart. That is God's business and God's alone. But if I'm driving down the street and the light is changing colors, I make a judgment, right? It's green, go. Red, stop. I can look around and I can see what Don's doing. I can see what Brielle's doing and I can, I can make a judgment call. Hey, they're, they're walking with the Lord or they line up with godly behavior. I'm constantly doing stupid stuff. People are probably looking at me like, isn't that, isn't that guy a Christian? What did he just say? By the way, there are some non-believers out there that put me to shame by their good works. And it's too bad. You know, I mean, you know, I don't know a lot of these people, but you're like, man, this person would be an awesome Christian. (laughs) But most of the time, I can pick out a genuine believer just by observing their life. Listen to what they say. Just, Just watch them, observe them. So verse 24, what it's saying is that faith and works go hand in hand. can't separate them. If faith is present in a person's life, works will also be present. On the flip side, if there are no works present in a person's life, there is also likely no faith present. Does that make sense? Because faith without works is dead. James 2.18 says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. I'm going to demonstrate my faith. It's not just lip service. And in verse 20, James says, but do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? How many times is James going to say it here? Verse 25, James gives the illustration of Rahab. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? James is really driving this point home in this passage from beginning in verse 14 all the way down to 26. He tells us that faith without works is dead. It's not even faith. And then he illustrates his point with the story of Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice. And then he comes back to faith without works is dead again. And then he illustrates his point again with the story of Rahab here in verse 25. By the way, the writer of Hebrews does the exact same thing 
but he's given many more examples, but he also includes Abraham and, and Rahab in his list of faithful people. So let's look at Rahab. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. She accepted payment in exchange for sex. Wow. What? She was not the lowest of the low. She was lower than the lowest. She was the scum of the earth. Extreme moral deficiency. Spreader of diseases. Home wrecker. Filthy, disgusting, and outcast. That was Rahab. You ever think of her that way? I kind of just glanced over her till you start digging in. Scripture has a way of just kind of unfolding and opening up and just scripture never ends. You ever notice that you guys you study scripture and like Xavier can spend a month on one word, <laughs> the <laughs> right Genesis to revelation on the scripture. It's alive. It's living. Love it. There is nothing else like the Word of God. So she's all these bad things. Yet her faith in God was so magnificent that she appears not only in the Old Testament, but she appears in the New Testament. She appears in Scripture. Every generation from here to kingdom come is going to learn of Rahab. Why? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I was an outcast. I was disgusting. I was a lot of those things. But God washed me clean and made me new. Did the same thing to Rahab. He converted her into a pure thing. That's the way God works. That's what he does. Just as you and I were homewreckers and filthy and disgusting and outcasts who turned God in who turned to God in the midst of our sins, so did Rahab. You and I heard the call of God and we responded, so did Rahab. <laughs> I was among many things a drug addict. But God changed me and took away my addiction. You know, I used to go to these, these uh, AA meetings and Narcotics Anonymous meetings, and they'd tell you, oh, yeah, you're, you're going to be a drug addict for the rest of your life. And I was like, really? I was, I was hoping to stop, <laughs> like, not be a drug addict. Well, that's, yeah, you're, don't use drugs, but you're always going to be a drug addict. And I was like, eh, you know, 
couldn't quite figure it out. So I kind of believed that for a couple of years. Yeah, hey, I'm Daryl. Uh, be at these meetings, and hey, I'm Daryl, I'm an alcoholic. But uh, <laughs> I'd, let me share. Well, how long has it been since you had a drink? Well, it's been two years, but, uh, but apparently I'm still an alcoholic. But I tell you what, when God saved me, he saved me. I am not an alcoholic. Used to be. Rahab was changed from a prostitute into a woman who would be a functioning part of God's plan to bring Messiah into the world. Trip out on that. So the story of Rahab, Joshua sends two spies into the land to do some some recon and report back because Joshua was looking for a military advantage to come in and kill everybody. Because that's what God told him to do. There's many lives at risk. The rumors were already spreading through the land, and even Rahab had heard that the Hebrews were coming to conquer. The spies go into Jericho, and they end up lodging at Rahab's house for the night. Turn to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read that passage. Joshua chapter 2. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of the harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. And when it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued, pursued them by the road to Jordan and the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came out up to them on the roof. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the river, the water of the Red Sea. Wow, I can't see here for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Ammonites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above the earth and beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since, you have shown, since I have shown you kindness, that you will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that I have, and deliver our lives from death. 
So the men answered her, Our lives are yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let down by a, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come to you, you know, into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brother, and your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be upon his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and, and she bound a scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers sought them uh, along the way and did not find them. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. So Rahab, very brave lady. You know, I guess you'd have to be to some degree to to be a, you know, a harlot, a prostitute. You'd have to have um, some degree of bravery, I guess. I mean, I would imagine your life is at risk every day if that's your profession. So in, in, in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, they attack. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel till this day because she hid the messengers from whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So we see that, the faith, uh, that by faith, Rahab and her family were saved. She simply believed and then acted upon that belief. Imagine the fear that must have been running through her veins when the king's captain came questioning, knocking on her door, and, and, and accusing her of treason, basically. When the army of Israel is marching around the city of Jericho, what's she thinking? When the walls fell down, when the soldiers of Israel are slaying the inhabitants of the city, women, babies, men, livestock, everything, they are not leaving anything alive. I wonder what's going through her mind. Fear. It's a normal human reaction. I'm sure she doubted her position more than once. And then suddenly her family was rounded up and delivered to safety. One day you and I will receive the end of our faith. We are going to be rounded up either by rapture or by death. And we are going to be delivered to safety. The salvation of our soul. 1 Peter 1.9 Very soon we will be face to face with Jesus. Rahab acted in faith. 
She didn't simply say, I believe. She did something to prove it. We see that true faith produces behavior consistent with God's word. She engaged herself in part of God's plan. Here's the ultimate. Rahab appears in the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew 1.5. And Salmon begot Boaz. Who remembers who Boaz was? He was the, the kinsman redeemer. Thank you. Yeah. The Goel. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And who did Jesse begat? King David. Fourteen generations after David, who gets born? Jesus. <laughs> Rahab is David's great-great-grandma. <laughs> God is so awesome. <laughs> Man, I should have been dead 20 years ago, people. I should have been insane and dead the things I was doing. By lining herself up with God's will, Rahab received a privileged position in the history of mankind. You and I may not receive such a prestigious honor as Rahab, but we will certainly and most definitely receive a mighty prestigious reward. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four says, then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. That's us. <laughs> yes. Romans eight sixteen through 18, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. <laughs> God. I, I just love thinking about heaven. Here's one of my favorite verses of all times. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he said, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is begging me to let him give me his kingdom. It's what he wants to do. Verse 26, James is going to wrap up this section here and he's going to conclude with a simile okay so here's where we start to get a little technical simile i, I even have a greek word in here too it's not a hard one though a simile is a figure of speech involving the comparison of one thing with another thing of a different kind used to make a description more emphatic or vivid. 
He's as brave as a lion. She's as fast as lightning. Those are similes. We, we use something that we understand and put it next to something we don't understand to help us understand the thing we don't understand a little better. The word like or as are typically used as the hinge. For as the body without the spirit is dead, James uses the physical to shed light on the spiritual. Okay, here's here's the Greek. You guys ready? Soma. (laughs) The Greek word for body is soma. I will occasionally go to Blue Letter Bible and get into the old King James and check out the Strong's Concordance or the Strong's uh, Greek thing to see what the word, how it defines in the Greek. Because sometimes the English words, they don't always get it. Like I love hot dogs. I love pizza. I love my wife. I love my mom. They're all different, right? But that word for body there speaks of a slave. Literal flesh and bones. My flesh and bones are a slave to my spirit. My my flesh and bones aren't doing what they want to. They're controlled by my spirit. Tent is another term that's used by Paul and Peter, 2 Peter 1 through 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. A tent is a temporary dwelling. Our physical bodies are temporary. Now, the word spirit, pneumoia, another Greek word, speaks of the human rationale, the soul. So as the body without the spirit, as, as the flesh and bones without the mind. Our spirit is the part of us that's invisible. Spirit and soul are so closely connected that there is only one thing that can distinguish between the two. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. My spirit is the part of me that makes me me. Anyone cold in here besides me right now? No? Everyone's good? Really? Okay. cold in here my spirit is the part of me that makes me me it's the eternal part of me it's the part of me that is going to live on forever either with jesus or separated from him but definitely eternal everyone lives forever this is something i'm i i try and get my kids to understand i try and get the the kids and the children ministry every week to understand you will live forever no matter what you decide 
But there's only two places. One is with the Lord and one is without him. One is paradise and one is a lake of fire. But everyone lives forever. The body without the spirit is simply a rotting corpse. The primary point that James is making here is that faith without works is worthless. He's not even trying to make the point. He's made the point. The point has been made. Faith without works is as useful as a rotting corpse. It stinks. It's disgusting. It's dead. You bury it. You get rid of it. It's foul. The solution to to dead faith isn't going out to perform good works. That's not how you fix your faith. The solution to renewing your faith, the works will be an automatic outpouring of genuine faith. The works will be out of love for others, and they will bring great joy to all. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Revelations, Revelation chapter 2, verses uh, 4 through 5 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, Jesus speaking, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and I will will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I have examined myself over the years, and from time to time, I get static in my walk, stagnant in my walk, moving backwards in my walk. Heck, I've asked for prayer from some of you people to come alongside and, and, and help me back on my feet. But I have to return to my first works. Man, when I, when I first got saved, I remember reading the Bible for the first time after I got saved. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I remember cracking open Matthew and reading the red letters, just sitting on my bed, and I, I couldn't put it down. It was like, it was like, Water to a guy who'd been starving for water out in the desert for three or four days, just thirsty. For the first time, reading the the word of God and it's speaking to me. I'll never forget that. Like, I always want that. I always want that experience. And we can let life just snuff it out. We can get busy. We need to return and, and... Rekindle that, that flame, that fire, so that, that God can fill us with his spirit and renew that joy in our life. And then we're going to want to come alongside people. We're going to want to pray for people. We're going to want to assist people. We're going to... Good works are going to pour out of us for the Lord. We've got to get into the word, into prayer, into fellowship. And to serve the body every day. One of the, one of the one of the biggest key factors in my walk with God is being accountable to this body of believers here in Pasadena. There's a lot of churches out there, but 
I have no reason to go anywhere else. I am being well-fed the word of God here under Xavier's teaching. He's a faithful teacher. And being accountable to you people and the children's ministry sometimes is the only thing that keeps me walking the straight path. And believe me, brothers and sisters, I will use anything that I possibly can to get me through the day. About 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. The first year, they established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach the town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. Who needed to go there anyway? Here were people who had the vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome great hardship to get there, but in a few years, they were not even able to see five miles out of town. They had lost their pioneering vision. After we break tonight, if, if anybody needs prayer, if you, if you realize, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling in my walk or I've become static or stagnant, I want to pray with you. you uh, I'll wait over here. You can come up and, and we can pray and that the Lord will, will reignite you in that. And we have that vision and, and we'll move forward. We, we press on for the goal because we are in a race and we are in a war. And as we look around, I ask my kids I, all the time, I said, uh, are there wars going on right now? Oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard of some wars. Are, are there disasters going on right now, like tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes? and that kind of, Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, we hear about that stuff. Is there, is there a real loss for natural affection in this world right now, kids? I mean, are, are we killing unborn babies by the millions right now? Like, Yeah, oh, yeah. Are we seeing men marry men and women marry men out of complete depravity? Well, yeah, we're seeing that too. I said, well, guess what? You need to look up because our redemption draweth nigh. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word that shows us and guides us and directs us, comforts us and gives us hope, Lord. Help us to remain faithful, to, to have that hope to occupy, and to do your will, knowing that you are in control and we are here as your servants, Lord. We love you, God. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you or anyone who needs prayer, Lord, I pray that you would just lay it on their heart to ask someone for help, ask someone for prayer. We love you, God, and we commit the rest of our evening on our drive home to you in Jesus' name. Amen.